It's an amazing part of the scriptures, and as I was saying to the children, it's this incredible moment when the church is born. I think I've told the story before, and I think actually as I was planning for it today to tell, uh, I think it might be Rich Mullins that told me this story, and Lisa and I are uh, Rich Mullins fans together. But uh, I went to see the Grand Canyon. I don't know whether you've been there. We were there on a kind of across America trip, and we, uh, we went for sunset. We skipped over to our tent and slept and got up at five to see the sunrise and then scarpered out of there. We didn't have much time, but we saw it at its best at sunset and sunrise. And the next couple of days I was spending with Rich Mullins in Arizona, and he, he told me, I think it was him who told me this story, it's not an exciting story, but I think it expresses something. If you're driving out towards the Grand Canyon, it's pretty dull stuff. It's, it's like being in Kansas, really. It's, um, it's just flat for as far as you can see. And Rich told me a story about a, an eight-year-old boy that was going to the Grand Canyon with his parents. And you know what eight-year-old boys and girls can be like when they're on a long journey with their parents. Are we nearly there yet? And really in America, the problem they have that we don't have, um, or the, the problem they have, yeah, we, at least we can, we can say around the same corner. Because sometimes in America, the road is straight for about four days. And you can't really say around the same corner. And so this wee guy was getting fidgety in the back of the car and it was so flat and he was so bored and, and he'd fallen asleep and he'd wakened up again. And he was looking out at this dull terrain and then they got to the very edge of the canyon and he got out of the car and they walked the short distance to the edge of the canyon and he's still just not getting it. And then he looked down and he just looked back up and said, whoa, something happened here. I'm not going to go into the geography of that, the Colorado River in that post-creation doodle cutting out this amazing canyon in that particular desert. But something happened here is when you don't think anything's going to happen at all, and then suddenly, boom, just like Pentecost. They're hiding in this upper room. They're maybe cowering from the fear of what has just happened to Jesus, confused about what's been going on. As we've been in these last few Sundays, as we've been looking at John chapter 14 and 15, and around that whole time, we've been looking at the different emotions that were going on in Jesus and in the disciples. And at this stage, they must be utterly confused because they've seen him die, they've seen him raised, they've had fish on the beach. Um, he's asked them if he loves them and, and they said yes and then he has disappeared from them again and they're looking into the sky wondering what's going to happen next and then they find themselves in this room and it's like the flat desert of nothingness. And then, if you'd been there on that day of the Feast of Weeks, as Jerusalem has all these pilgrims around and suddenly these guys who were hiding in a room are in the middle of the street, Galileans. Now, I always like to say that Balamina folk are a bit like Galileans because we're, you know, our accent betrays us. And I thought my accent betrayed me until Jason, my cousin, came and spoke yesterday, and boy, does his accent betray him. Hi. You have heard that, of course, in the secondary school in Balamina, they answer the phone by saying, Balamina, hi. Um, <laughs> sorry, it is bad, but anyway... Um, their accent betrayed them. They were Galileans. And Balamina folk, sorry, we're just more like Jesus. We have his sort of accent. But they're not sounding like Galileans because they're speaking all the languages of the people that are around Jerusalem for this feast. 
And they're not educated people. They didn't go to Uwu. They didn't take all these different languages. And something has happened here. This is a moment. This is a moment like that birth of Jesus moment. This is a moment like those different moments on Jesus' journey towards that cross on that Good Friday where the, the veil in the temple was torn in two or where the stone was rolled away in resurrection or where Jesus left them to ascend to the right hand. This is one of these moments. This is the birth of the church. And what we find right away is that what happened inside in a group of people that were inside are immediately pushed outside. When the church is birthed by the coming of the Holy Spirit, here comes the future. Here comes what Joel has been telling us about in the Old Testament. Here's what the prophets have been talking about. A time when God will not live in tents or temples, but actually among his people and in his people, the church. And immediately, immediately they're pushed out and a mission and proclamation and action about this good news. There's three things I want to draw out. I don't usually, but I'm doing it today. The inside moved out. The spectacular, this wind and like fire coming from heaven, the seemingly spectacular made sense. And then the prophetic interpretation of the times that Peter comes to talk about. These guys were no longer huddled in a room. And the rest of the Acts of the Apostles tells us where they're pushed out to from there. Remember what Jesus said right at the start of the Acts of the Apostles? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Or as we want to say, if we want to say it in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, in the island of Ireland, to the ends of the earth. Or if you want to say it in Delaware, in Ohio, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. If you want to say Berlin, in Germany, in Europe, and to the ends of the earth. That this gospel, that this mission that we have takes us from inside and pushes us out and out and out. And the Acts of the Apostles in that second volume of Luke's writings, and you remember I keep reminding us when we did it as a church, when we read the New Testament in chronological order just a few years ago, and we discovered how powerful Acts was when we read it straight after the gospel according to Luke. Here we are and Luke's telling us that Jesus is no longer here, but as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit would come and immediately they're being pushed out. They're being pushed out geographically, but they're being pushed out of their comfort zones too. There are things that happened to them in this Acts of the Apostles that they really couldn't have imagined when they were huddled in that room wondering what was going on. I suppose the Cornelius story is one of those major stories. Or Paul the one who was after them early on, who becomes the great teacher. And that moment when, when they had to go to Paul and say, um, are you going to kill us or are you now one of us? There was moments of high risk. In, the, in fact, the Acts of the Apostles is a book of high risk. It's where the Holy Spirit gives us the courage and boldness and hopefulness and the imagination and that ability to risk, to never be in the huddle to never to be inside the upper room anymore, hiding away from it, to be always out pushing the envelope, the window that we now have out into our community, 
It's a good start, isn't it? Because before, there was no window out that we could see out. These are lovely windows, and they were double glazed on the other side this week so that the sound barrier is not there any longer. I don't know whether Bible class are now meeting up there and they can't hear me anymore. That would be their blessing, would it not? But, um, but these windows didn't really give us a, a view out on the world around us. And certainly when you came to that old blue door, do you remember that? It didn't really give people a welcoming end to what our church was. And so now not only can we see out, but the community can see in. But we need to be more than a window. We need to find ourselves out in these streets, out across this city and beyond. Being a little of God's breath, that spirit, that full force gale. I started my ministry in Fitzroy that November night in 2009 with a choir of Fitzroy and chaplaincy singing Van Morrison's full force gale. I think about it every Pentecost Sunday because whatever Morrison was on at the time and who knows in his spiritual journeys what he was on, he got this great expression of the spirit, this full force gale. And my friend Martina Muller, the former mayor, always sends me these tweets with full force gale at the bottom of it. I don't know whether it's his favorite song or whether secretly he's a charismatic, but some of us could maybe ask him that at some stage. But this sense of a full force gale, it's not just, and it will be at times, a gentle breeze, but there's this impact that we can make in the world because we want to be a little of his breath moving over the face of the deep. A particle of God's light shining over the hills of morning. And tomorrow, or even this afternoon, we head back into that world. We head back into that world, pushed out from Fitzroy to where we really need to be, to where the disciples knew they had to be. Maybe into unexpected places, with unexpected graces, but out there, risking all for the kingdom. There is this spectacular side of it, and a couple of weeks ago we spoke about the Holy Spirit in more depth, and I'm not going to go back over that ground. In fact, I decided this week that I probably should look across the lectionary a couple of weeks in advance before I preach a good one that could have been preached today, but I I, I wouldn't change it if if we got to it at this stage. But we talked that week about how the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works has divided the church. It's divided the church worldwide. It's sometimes divided not only denominations, but particular churches. Some want this spectacular. And we might have found that with maybe the Toronto Blessing in the early 90s is one of those times when churches were split because there was all kinds of spectacular things happening. And some people were going, well, what's that about? Um, There's a book in... um, I'm pretty convinced um, that Gary was the one who uh, sent me towards it, if I could just find what it is. Now, Jack Levison has a book called Fresh Air um, and looks at the Holy Spirit, and he tries to bring these two things together, particularly in this picture of Pentecost, because what happens here is that the spectacular happens in that upper room, and there's this wind that's almost a violent wind. If you can imagine being in those, you can see them in the hurricane tornado seasons of the United States where these winds blow in and you can't even stand. This spectacular sense of wind and like fire coming out of heaven and landing in the disciples. And then they start speaking in these tongues and it's got that spectacular. Um, And some of the charismatic side of the church have taken that and gone with it on a journey that maybe has taken that too far. What Lefson says is quite right, that all that spectacular stuff is made sense of. In other words, the tongues are not just there for spectacular sake or for sensational headline sake. They're there because literally they're going to do a job. 
all those different tongues are the languages of the people who are listening. And so the Spirit comes in spectacular ways, but it comes in spectacular ways that then make sense into the world that we live in. It's not something that we look at and go, what is that about? It's something we might say, what is that about? And then go, oh, that's what it was about. It's the Spirit using us, maybe sometimes in spectacular ways, but also in ways that make sense. Jack Levison, Fresh Air, The Holy Spirit for an Inspired Life is a really helpful book down that road. And you've heard me before talk about, and it's Mental Health Awareness Week, and um, Amy's reflection was wonderful, and Muriel's prayer, my goodness, uh, that's been a good way to reflect on that. Um, But you've heard me saying before that the main things that human beings need in our world, I'm told by some counsellors, and I'm aware that Richard and Muriel and Chris and various others who are uh, um, uh, professionals in this might disagree with this, but there's a sense within all of us that our mental health, uh, to, to have a, a good mental health, life in all its fullness, Muriel alluded to in her prayer, we do need to be loved and know we're loved. We do need that love to be secure and not to be brittle or fickle. We want a love that we know loves us as we are, one that's there for us no matter what. And we want a sense of security and significance, purpose. I was at a seminar a couple of years ago and they were saying that really uh, those who uh, are prone towards suicide are those who feel purposeless. They don't feel they have a role in the world, many of them. We want to know that we have a significance, that we have a purpose. And we want hope. And Jesus and the grace of God is our love. And the grace of God says we're loved unconditionally, so there's a security in that. And the significance is we become part of this church that was birthed at Pentecost, and we go out to be a little of God's breath. We go out to be a particle of God's light. In the world, there's purpose for all of us in that. And we have this sense of hope, hope for the future, yes, but a hope for the future that brings hope for us when we're stuck in a moment here. The fifth one that Lawrence Crabb added into that was the miraculous. And some people might say the miraculous, that's a Christian one. But actually, if you go to your bookshop, you'll see that there's so much in the occult or in reading of the stars or transcendence is not something that is just of the Christian or the religious. There's something that all of us sense we need the transcendence, something that might interrupt or break in to how we are and the Holy Spirit as we hear about it on this Pentecost Sunday, reminds us of this transcendent power of the Spirit that by grace can break in to situations that we have. Levison calls Pentecost, and these words that Dom read for us, an an ecstasy clinic. We see the ecstasy of the charisma of the church being birthed, but we see how it works. It works in a way that makes sense and becomes part of our lives with a purpose. And then finally, the prophetic interpretation of the times. We see Peter here going back to the Old Testament to make it biblical. I was in Stormont yesterday. Um, I think it, actually, I think Stormont yesterday, I think yesterday for me was like the Acts of the Apostles going out to where you never thought you would be, unexpected places and unexpected graces. Father Martin phoned me last night and he said to me, I'm thinking of ringing church house and getting a few extra hands in on Sunday morning because if they see your Facebook page today, they're going to be freaked because in the morning we started with my cousin Jason in the Onialaku room with his Pride of the Main marching band uniform on, 
playing his flute, a water boy's tune actually, and playing it very competently, I have to say. I was proud that he was my cousin. Telling us about the marching bands and the pride of the main band in particular. So there's a Facebook photograph of me with a marching band with the pride of the main right there on Facebook. And then alongside it, we're in Stormont with an icon of Mary and Father Q, Noel. Now there's two pictures that you ask yourself, how did I end up here? How did I end up in any of these pictures? How did I end up in both of those pictures? And how is it that the Holy Spirit somehow guides your life into peacemaking and reconciliation and all those kinds of things? How does that work? And I was saying it's storming because um, basically we were part of... Um, Father Noah phoned me last week. He said, Steve, we're going to storm it as part of the jubilee of this icon of Mary. And I don't like this idea, he said. Um, he said, I just think it's very Catholic and victorious and all that kind of stuff. And we don't need to be walking up the avenue and storming with an icon of Mary. It just doesn't seem to be right. Can Clonard Fitzroy get together? Can Fitzroy come? And can we just lighten the Mary bit a bit? And as a Protestant, I thought, that's good idea good idea and um and 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 there we have the icon so when i got up to speak and i did a little bit of a reflection on mary i was saying in northern ireland if you're protestant the bible's important and you got to get it you know theologized and you got to have your quote from the bible to make some sense of it and actually i read just a few verses when when mary's with elizabeth just after she's got pregnant with jesus and it says um the holy spirit came upon elizabeth and Elizabeth declared that Mary was blessed among women. And I thought, there's a great sort of link between the Pentecost Eve that we were aware that we were there in Stormont with and that idea of who Mary is. And then uh, Father Seamus Enright got up and did a wonderful reflection on the icon that ended by telling us the icon was not about Mary. It was about the Jesus that Mary was pointing to in the icon and our need to follow him. I think Peter at Pentecost was thinking to himself, now, how are the Presbyterians going to deal with this? I tell you what, I need a bit of scripture. And, um, and, uh, and he went back to Joel. And he tried to interpret these events of his time through the scriptures that were there in the Old Testament prophet. And that's what we constantly need to be doing. We need to be asking ourselves, what is a church moving out? What does it have to say into a marching band's culture? into a community of people that feel that since the agreement, they've given and given and given and not got much. How does the church, what does the Spirit of God, what does the Scripture say into that particular culture? Or how do we come together as a church with another denomination across that fracture of Protestant Catholic? Father Seamus Enright told this story. In 1985 or 84, he wasn't sure what year, he was invited to Stormont as part of an economic delegation that the PCUSA had actually brought together because they were scared we were losing investment from Northern Ireland as a result of the Troubles. And Father Seamus was there as the rector of Clonard. And near the end of the event, someone said, we're going to share the Lord's Prayer together. To which the moderator of our General Assembly said, he would have to excuse himself because he couldn't pray the Lord's Prayer with Father Seamus in the room. What? What is that? The Lord's Prayer somehow becomes what if 
there's a Catholic in the room. And no matter how much John Brewer tells me that this was not a religious conflict, that was a religious war happening right in the heart of Stormont that particular day. What would the Spirit of God be telling us as a church in a divided land? When Father Noel phones me up and says, we're taking an icon of Mary to Stormont to pray for every MLA. How do I work that out? Do I say, well, icon of Mary, there's no chance I'll be that. Or do you go up and explain, as I did in the reflection, I don't understand this icon thing. We're not for that at all. But we have this common thing where the Mary you're talking about and the Mary we're talking about is the mother of Jesus. Let's reflect together. And let's model to our politicians, not only by praying for them by name as we did in this incredibly emotional way, but by showing them that you can cross the chamber in the act of peace and you can hug those from the other side that you disagree with and hold your disagreements. You don't have to have a love-in where everybody agrees the same thing. That's diluting the whole deal. But would the Spirit of God not be telling us that one way to model to our politicians what the kingdom of God's like is maybe to just be there together in our differences. Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit of God. Finally and finally, and I mean finally, not as Paul meant finally in the Philippians. I mean finally. This is the culmination of of a hundred days prayer for a hundred years of history. When Evangelical Alliance and 24-7 prayer and summer madness, with a real sense of the Holy Spirit in all three of those organizations, decided that in a year that celebrates the Easter rising in the psalm, we should do something about that as the church. We should pray. So they've been praying for a hundred days in churches all around Northern Ireland and indeed the whole island. We have been reading that booklet that they brought out with all those interviews. We've had a devotion coming into our phone every morning. So where does it end? It ends this morning at Pentecost, 15th of May. It's been in my head for 100 days. And the last devotion this morning is from Pete Linus, who heads up EA Evangelical Alliance in Northern Ireland. And it's the end of the book that you might have bought in the foyer a number of weeks ago. He's talking about a time when old men and old women will come back to Jerusalem, sit in benches in the street and spin tails, move around safely with their canes, a good city to grow old in. And boys and girls will fill the public parks laughing and playing, a good city to grow up in. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 4. And he's asking of the church, Pete, that we get so filled with this spirit on Pentecost Sunday that we will go out of our churches and we will be those who will begin to create this kind of society. A missional country as Ireland, from Columbanus to Amy Carmichael, he says. Those who, the Americans, I think, foolishly think, saved civilization way back in the early centuries. I'm not sure we did, but we maybe had a contribution to make. To those who would not let the slave ships dock, the one port in the UK where the slave ships were not welcome because we were against slavery here in Belfast, that we as a nation, that we as an island would be those who would go out from our rooms of worship on a Sunday morning and that we would be 
the breath of God and particles of his light to bring a city where it's good to grow old in and make a city that it's good to grow up in because of Pentecost, because of the birth of the church, we have a contribution to make to making that a reality in our world. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Lord, you welcomed us in by your grace to your community, family this morning, to take time to reflect, to take time to pray, to take time to take those things that are happening on the outside, like Mental Awareness Week, Christian Aid Week, praying for MLAs at a new stormant just beginning to meet again, that we would bring your word, that we would bring our prayers in this worship And that we would bring it so that we might reflect and find perspective and find strength by your spirit and through one another to go back out through these doors and to create a city that Zechariah dreamt of for Jerusalem where it would be wonderful for old folk to grow old in and it would be wonderful for young people to grow up in. Lord, send us back out. Like the Acts of the Apostles, may we be going and pushed to unexpected places and find unexpected grace. May we take risk, may we imagine, may we dream dreams, but may we never be statically sitting in an upper room waiting for something to happen. We thank you, Lord, that it's happened, and you call us to go. In Jesus' name, amen.